Hello and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. It's after Wolves made absolute idiots out of us um, in the FA Cup at Anfield. And to look at that and to look at some concerning structural anomalies within the club. Um, and then crouch behind the sofa and talk about Brighton. Um, I've got Andy Bell in Liverpool. I've got Jay Reid in Liverpool. I've got Johnny Henderson in Belfast. Johnny. Good Gaelic. Good, good, good Gaelic day. Did you like that? Pronunciation was good, wasn't it? I've been working on it. Um, good. Just a wind, just a wind Andy Bell up. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, um, Saturday was grim, wasn't it? <laughs> it was grim, but but unsurprising that watching us at the minute, game after game after game, it all it almost feels like it feels like a penalty shootout. If you know what I mean, we will create enough chances to score two or three goals, maybe even four, but ultimately the other team will also be allowed to create two or three or maybe even four big chances. And the statistics are all there to bear that out. And it's just a matter of who takes who takes which chances. <laughs> At no point do I ever see us being the better team um, over the course of 90 minutes based on the number of goals that you should score. So to me, there's no level of consistency. We will win games and we will lose games and we will draw games, two eights and three eights and things. But there's... There's no level of consistency to be found anytime soon in my eyes. No, there's not. And it, it's, I mean, we, we, you know, listening to the chats you guys have been having over, you know, the recent games, it's, it's the same thing. It's just Groundhog Day over and over again. And I would even disagree, Dave, based on the game at the, the weekend that we looked like we could score a shitload of goals as well. I, I thought we were. You know, the cohesion of the team even going forward, those, it's just dead strange. I mean, obviously everyone's talking about the midfield because you have to, because we can't, we don't win tackles anymore. We don't push up on teams. We don't have legs. We don't have energy in there. It just feels like we're really immobile and old in midfield and um, teams can get at our back four in two or three passes or just by putting the head down and running, <laughs> running fast through the middle of us because no one seems capable of, uh, of doing that. So we don't have control. And then that goes for being with the ball and without the ball. I think there are no discernible patterns of play with, with, with our team anymore. I mean, you, you can always think, if you think back to when we were at our best, you know, you'd always have those patterns where Fabinho, Ronaldo, would 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 play the ball, go into Mane, um, that the, you would get the, the movement from Firmino, you would get the overlap from Robertson. You, there were just patterns to how we attacked and how we went about our business from the start of a game. and It's just not there. Um, and the game was, um, you said it's like a pound of shit out. It is. It's a bit like basketball, I would liken it to. It's, um, it just feels very, very, very helter-skelter. Um, I don't even think we created. I mean, we get a very fortuitous second goal, really. I, I don't remember their keeper really having to do that much. Um, the, you know, the Salah one is one of the... I know, Dave, you, it's a pet hate of yours, that offside, where if, if you're offside, it doesn't matter if someone tries to play the ball. feels like a ludicrous... Um, a it's ludicrous... Absurd. The only reason uh, he has to play all is because your man is standing offside. It's preposterous. It is preposterous. It really is. It's a, it's it's a really stupid rule. Um, you know, and just leave. You know, he has to play it because the guy's standing offside, or else he makes a judgment, which is very hard to do in a split second to to he, leave. He has to guess. He has to guess that a yeah, yeah, yeah. and obviously behind you know, him. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to be coached to guess. You're always going to be coached to go and if you can try and attack a ball to do it, you know? So it's a very fortuitous goal. I mean, Salah takes it really well. Um, but the goals, you know, that goal's fortuitous. Trent plays a, 
a wonder pass. You know, he breaks forward out, out of nothing really, and and you know they they give the ball away. We break, and it's um it's a very lucky finish <laughs> from Darwin Nunes. He completely shins it. It's it, it's a lucky finish. It looks perfect, um, but but it was a bit uh, it was a bit lucky. But with his movement, he always gets in those positions. But yeah, just you know the systemic things we've been talking about. There is no control in the midfield. Um, we never, you never feel, even when we get two one up, like we're going to kill the game. Um, they're always coming at us. And you guys were saying in the group chat, um, those who were watching on the TV anyway, were saying when the, you know, when the second goal sort of scrambled in. Um, we've just seen that goal so many times, haven't we? Recently, just too, too easy to get round the back of us, and um, yeah, just Groundhog Day again. The same problems persist. Um, we're missing quality up front. It's showing. We're missing legs. We're missing bite. We're missing energy in midfield, and it's showing. We don't have Van Dyke's composure now. Not that he was at his best this season, and. As we were just saying pre the pod, when Allison, who's been exemplary and has going to finish the season by a mile as our player of the season, when he makes a, a rick, which he's allowed to, by the way, because he's a, he is allowed that rick of all the players in that squad, we'll give him that. Um, but it's just so precarious, and you don't see us tightening up. You don't see it improving um, anytime soon, and I think that's. That's the big worry when you look at some of the fixtures on the horizon and where we're at in the league. Yeah, Jay, I know the midfield has come under a lot of scrutiny. Um, and it's it's really hard to tell whether it's tactics, personnel, or just legs, age, fatigue. If it's something mental, psychological, I don't know. But ultimately... Um, the, the big concern here is the the team's general dual success rate. So that's basically any kind of challenge um, or contest, individual, you know, one-on-one contest, is the worst in the Premier League, 47.5%. Um, and that's very evident when you watch us play. But it's like Johnny has said, I don't see where that problem gets fixed, even if dipping into the transfer market brings us a Bellingham and a a Caicedo out of some sort of like, you know, alternate universe. Um, But there are a multitude of things that you could point to as to why we are so easy to play around, why we're so, we're so easy to get at and play through and expose the back four. Um, and I don't know what your thoughts are, you know, what you think the most pertinent one is. I don't even know where you begin. And I think the the whole conversation around the field is endless and it's it's down to personal opinion, isn't it, about what what you think is is wrong, other people may judge it as more or less important, but I think the, the the obvious thing is that there's an issue there and what what's weird lately is like Klopp basically fessed up and said a few months ago, Yeah, we we do need a midfielder and there was obviously strong sorts of connections to maybe getting two and many in the summer and we didn't so it was obviously a, a highlighted issue, but the fact that we, you know, scrambled around and got some crock from Juventus, who I think he's played about four minutes. I don't even know if that's in competitive football for Liverpool. He probably appeared more for the under twenty threes, and he might know that one more than I will. But you know, it it's a glaring issue, and you know the conversation is being had on every fan platform of Liverpool every. Bit of social media, I'm sure, like in people's workplaces, we're all having the conversation with other other fans of other teams because it's that obvious. And the fact that we're what ten days into January and we're still sort of sat on our hands is a bit concerning. Because you know, are we happy to just tank the season and throw it away? Because that's what it sort of 
it's starting to feel like at the moment where, you know, the easy connection to make is the American owners are familiar with baseball and the American sports system is if you have a bad season, then the next season, if you, you finish low enough down the rankings, then you sort of get a higher pick from, from college. Well, you're actually, you're like actually rewarded. Yeah, you're actually rewarded for it, aren't you? There are teams yeah for the parity. Yeah, there are teams that will get to a certain point of a season. Now you know more about this than I do, but correct me if I'm wrong. There are teams that will get to the certain point of a season in be it baseball or American football when they realise we're not going to make the playoffs. So what we're going to do is we're just tank. We're just going to tank. Yeah, yeah. And maximise was... on our our play our our uh, draft picks. It was a situation at the weekend with NFL, and it was Houston or Chicago. One of them finishes. Was going to finish worst team in the NFL, and whoever finishes worst gets the first pick out of college. And Houston fans wanted to lose because it would have meant they were finishing bottom, and they would have had you know the best, the first pick of the the best player in college football as it is. And they had, ironically they won, and they were going mental on social media that the fact that they won a game because they were then not number one for the next pick of the players next year. And bringing it back like to sort of the the connection towards with FSG, I. Have they just got it wrong and think like you know, if you have a bad season, then next season you can sort of pick it up and maybe attract players because it doesn't work like that. Like if you're out the Champions League, you lose millions. If you're out the Champions League, you don't attract the best players. If you're out the Champions League, your best players that you've got will be looking elsewhere. It just doesn't work like that. And I, that's just one theory. Obviously, there's there's hundreds of theories flying around, but it it it's a bit concerning that we're now. As I said, we're sat here and it doesn't seem to be any sort of change and we seem to just be going through game and game, actually looking worse, actually looking more open, actually looking more slower. And, you know, sitting there at the weekend, I I didn't even watch the highlights of the game because I was that pissed off about what happened and didn't want to put myself through it. So, you know, it, that's the sort of feeling you get now coming home from football. And I said before we started, it's, a, it's actually a bit better that we're playing once a week for the next week or two. I know we've got to replay against Wolves, but if Liverpool are going to let you down, ruin your weekend, at least not ruining your midweeks as well, at least till the Champions League comes back, but that might be a swift exit as well, the way we're going. Yeah, we'll only have to suffer that for two games. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Andy, um, there's been a lot said about, you know, we don't tackle enough and we're not intense enough and all this sort of carry on, um, which is fine. But to me, I don't know. I feel like, you know, run harder, run faster. It's kind of, it seems like the lazy excuse. It seems like, it seems like the go-to reason if you either don't know what's wrong or can't work out what's wrong. But, in my eyes, it's kind of the same as anything. You're a teacher, right? So a kid isn't doing well in school. Um, a lot of the time, work harder, study more, isn't going to solve the problem. You need to start thinking about things differently. It's the same in any kind of profession. Work harder, work faster. A lot of the time, you have to think about doing things differently in order to make the change, to improve performance. And I just feel like it's a it's a bit of a get out of jail card, um, and it's borderline scapegoating the midfield because Johnny's right. You could see this this for the first for the first fifteen minutes of the season um, away at Fulham. It's been like this, and these players' legs didn't fall off in a matter of six or seven weeks. You know. Um, this team was performing at unbelievable levels, record-breaking levels, only a few weeks before this. So where where's your head on the whole kind of midfield kind of issue? Because I feel like if you're able to play around a team that easily, uh, there's got to be something more to it than you're just not running hard enough. Yeah, I think the run run harder work work harder run faster thing it's all a little bit Roy Keane it's all a little bit as you say analysis for people who can't analyze it's for people who don't understand football it's for your your sort of average supporter um taking their frustration out but doesn't actually sort of understand the game it's not it's not that it's 
you don't go from a team who are mentality monsters, as Klopp once called them, to you know a, a team who chucks it every week in the space of six or seven weeks. It just doesn't happen. They haven't lost their hunger. They are running. They're working as hard as they can. Um, there's a million and one different theories as to what's going wrong, but I don't think that motivation um, and work ethic is one of them. I can't remember whether Hendo said it on the on the pod or the pre-pod, but he was saying like last season we really were running on fumes towards the end. And as great as last season's squad was, and it will you know be remembered by us as supporters for the rest of our lives, we will tell our kids and grandkids about how we were in every possible game there was to play. We won two trophies. We came within 15 minutes of achieving what has never been achieved before. But you know, as great as the squad was, and and I suppose still is on paper, you know, at the end of the day, they were performing massively above their level. It wasn't a squad who should have been able to go 63 games, winning more or less every single one of them. It wasn't a, a, a squad big enough to do that and uh, and and to, to manage their, their minutes and manage their legs in the way that you see some massive squads, especially the state-owned ones around Europe and in our league. So, there's an element to that. There's their 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 legs haven't fallen off in those six or seven weeks, but their legs the legs may have fallen off a little bit, and their heads fallen off a lot because you know yourself. If anyone uh, like I know Hendo does is running and stuff, you you made the teacher analogy to make sort of an analogy to running. If you go out and and run a ten k and you put absolutely everything into that, you know, and you put on you, you can't give a hundred percent in every single run. You have to take one you know, at, at, at 60%, 70%, and then, you know, you have to pick your moments for when you go for the jugular. And I think that's, the, the week on week that we're going for the jugular, they were given 100% every single time. And it just wasn't feasible. And you see it in the, like some of the mistakes we're making. I mean, forget Saturday, you know, the goalkeeper throws in a stinker, but that Arsenal game we play earlier in the season, all three goals are so avoidable. And it was so unlike what we were seeing last season from Liverpool and that's just their heads are gone, their heads are fried and they're just doing stupid things. You know, we can all sort of identify with that. You went to work and you're knackered or you're rattled from something that's happening at home and you do, you know, you're at your you're at your stupidest when you're at your most your most emotional at the end of the day. So it's you know you could go through six or seven different theories on it. On the midfield it's you know it, it's painfully obvious that we need a couple of bodies in there at least. I think Jay mentioned three and he may well be right in that. And um, it's hard to know what those bodies are going to be. Are we going to go back to the the sort of midfield that we saw 2018, 2019 under Klopp where it was hell for leather, get on top of you, gag and pressing? Or are we going to sort of go for this more Guardiola-esque, seemingly influenced by Linder's approach where, you know, you've got Harvey Elliott playing in the midfield without seemingly having a defensive bone in his body we line up at Goodison Park with him and Carvalho as the two number eights. Is that what we're, we're going towards? And, you know, that's worrying if that is the case, even though it may well take a little bit of time to get going. It may well take a season to get used to that transition. It's I don't really understand why we are uh, diverting from something that served us so well over the years. So, yeah, I think a couple of bodies definitely need to come in. The, the amount of time Wolves players had on the ball to pick their pass at the uh, at the weekend there was was not only scandalous but it also completely negated the idea of the high line is a point you made because the whole point is you can get on top of teams a lot quicker and you can press it a lot quicker whereas teams have just so much time and Adama Traore nearly scored the exact same goal Dewsbury Hall scored um, just before just before the new year he ran nearly right the way through us somebody got a tackle in the end so. Yeah, there's so, so much. And um, I fear we don't get anyone in this January. And I fear that like we'll just be throwing those performances in for the next four months. And it, it could just be a season of absolute graft, to be honest. That's the way I see it right now. Yeah, it kind of feels that way to me too. Johnny, um, for a club that was... I, I think that you coined the phrase um, earlier on, gold standard of how an absolutely fine-tuned, well-oiled, flawlessly executed football operation is supposed to be run was us. Um, And there was absolute um, cooperation and one shared goal that 
ran from the top of the club right down to the bottom. It was so aligned in every way, shape or form. And now, and I'm going to caveat this next section by saying this is going to be a massive amount of fucking speculation and conjecture here, right? (laughs) (laughs) But, But it does feel like there is a massive disconnect now between what's going on on the pitch and what's going on off the pitch. And there's a number of things that we can point to around that, but... There, there does seem like there's an element of, if you want to call it friction or disharmony or, you know, dare I say it, almost disorganisation, which potentially, you know, is, we, we always focus on what's on the pitch, but, you know, a lot of the times you're going to take a few steps back um, and understand that there's a root cause to this issue. And I don't know how you feel about the if you want to call it a coincidence between like no doctor Edwards ward and what's going on on the pitch. Yeah. I mean, just a second, what you've already said, this will go into the realms of massive speculation and, and, and guesswork. But I think there's a few things that, that we know as, you know, we know our facts. And one is that when Klopp came into Liverpool, um, the FSG model was very much the, the Moneyball model and they embraced data and they took that to another another level with the analytics and, you know, employing guys like Will Spearman, you know, absolute um, boffins or <laughs> statos, nerds, geeks, whatever. These guys were physicians. These guys were fucking big bang theory people. You know, people working on like the, the hydrogen. Yeah, the, the Hadron Collider, I think Spearman, the, one of the guys that measured the, the, the God particle or whatever. I mean, these guys were absolute top of their field with numbers. And obviously the big story of the Liverpool success was the club came in and met them, saw what they were about and embraced it. And that use of data then was implemented. They, you know, in terms of also playing style and looking at how goals were scored and using it in that way, it was used obviously as, as most people are aware to, 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 to look at transfer targets and, and you know they analysed thousands and thousands of football matches and the result of which was basically an unparalleled um, an unparalleled spell for a number of years of just literally being flawless in the transfer market I mean it, it's it's literally incredible when you look back at it but it, it was almost like if, if you go through the team Robertson, uh, Van Dijk Allison, Fabinho Wijnaldum, Firmino, Mane, Salah. It was it was literally bullseye, bullseye, bullseye after bullseye. It was it was just uncanny, and and and, and a lot of people would have said unsustainable. Um, so it is this really weird thing of, and there was no sign of this last season because, although we knew that there was a risk that Mane was going to move on. Although we knew, you know, Bobby wasn't going to be around forever, players like Diaz came in uh, and Jota came in, and you could see the evolution of the forward line, and it did look pretty seamless. So none of none of this was none of this was really evident last season. It looked like the succession planning was there, but obviously, what's happened behind the scenes is we've had. You know, key figures, obviously Michael Edwards, but then Julian Ward, who presumably had been, we were told when all was 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 rosy behind the scenes, that he'd been groomed for the succession. He'd been, sh- you know, shadowing him, learning from him, getting ready to take over the reins. But now he is going. And you've got then this, it, just this feeling, Dave, exactly what you said, of going from being seamless, everything's really methodical, really thought out, really planned, um, to it just feels like it's a little bit scattergun and I think the best illustration of that was what Jay was saying um, and, and we we all said this in the summer but I think the first real sign of things aren't quite right was when, when you think about how Salah was acquired where he maybe wasn't Klopp's first choice you know the rumour was it was Julian Brandt at the time 
we are, we are all in for Chiumani. Um We're ready to pay a club record fee by all accounts or close to a club record fee. And back to Real Madrid falls through. They've suddenly got this massive budget that they planned for Mbappe and they just come in and blow us out of the water for, for the wages and, and for the whole package for him. And we go from being ready to, to spend on an almost record amount on our midfield to then ending up, as Jay says, with, with Mello. It just, that for me was, was a worry and that we always had second and third options. We always had targets. We always had fallbacks. And that was, for me, the first sign that things aren't as smooth as, as slick behind the scenes as they were. And, you know, you look at the hard facts now, you look at the midfield, you look at the lack of recruitment in that area, and you look at just the, the general, it just doesn't feel like everyone's pulling in the same direction that they're unified, it appears. And I mean, I'll leave it to you guys, you know, this, Andy alluded to, you know, is this Linder's influence? Is there things going on behind the scenes? But it does paint a picture of a club that were so unified in approach, everybody pulling in the same direction, to all of a sudden, without any rational explanation, abandoning it. And we don't know why that is, but we know that it doesn't seem like it's the right thing for us. And um, it doesn't bode well for the future. It, it, it is it is quite quite worrying. Um, but uh, I'm sure the other guys will offer their thoughts on, on, on the other parts of it that seem strange. You know, the guys have some thoughts about lenders and that, but it's, yeah, it's hard to get your head around. It's hard to un- understand. Yeah, so, Jay, we, we talked um before we we started recording just about the the transfer strategy scout network things like that and and obviously it it feels weird as johnny said that edwards has come in he's been there for a number of years he's worked his way up um from from a a data analyst um having to be the most revered you know transfer strategists uh in world football and he decides it's time to go. We have a, a, a handover period, a transition period between him and Julian Ward. You think, okay, he's this is the next guy. This is part of the succession plan. And you're, you know, no one's ever going to be at the club forever. We we know that things change. It's just it's just how effectively you manage that change. And now all of a sudden he's decided that that, that he's off as well. And it, it all feels. A bit weird, you throw the Gakpo signing in there, which we talked a little bit on last week. It, it feels like that if you've got 40 million to spend, a left-sided attacker, given although two of them are injured, you've got three lads that can already go out and do that job in, in Diaz, Jota and, and, and Nunez now. So it, it all feels a bit confusing to me. And I know you have maybe a little bit more information whether you call it information or not because we don't know how accurate it is but certainly a little bit of insight as to what you've heard as to where the disharmony might be coming from yeah so well i went on obviously last week so just my 10 pence on the gap thing. i think obviously as we said before we started recording um it it strikes as an opportunity and we we were probably damned if we didn't, damned if we didn't. So, you know, it, it might be, as you alluded to earlier on, sort of the, the transition from the old forward line, you know, the the one that was revered and loved in Mane, Salah and Firmino, to, you know, maybe a sort of Salah, um, Darwin, Diaz with, you know, Gapo and Jota sort of as rotation pieces or whatever, however it works. But if we didn't and we, we let him just go to somewhere else, then... You know, we'd be sat there saying, well, Carvalho isn't the option. Like, if he's our, our next, you know, cab off the rank sort of thing in the forward line, he, he's not shown enough, really. I know he's a young player, but, you know, he isn't exactly setting the way of the light. And the fact that there was rumours that he could go back to Fulham on loan sort of suggests, you know, that, that the area that we're, we're at with him. Um, on, on, the, on the scouting thing, if this is purely... A rumour that I heard, but it was regarding 
um, scouts who were in South America that had identified players in the South American system um, over the past 18 months and, you know, doing the job as they're told to report into Michael Edwards, these players were two meant to be names of Moises Caicedo and Enzo Fernandes who were within South American football who were put forward and Linda's apparently, again, speculation, I'm just saying, is the guy who who done an oversight and look at them because, as we all know, Klopp likes to to delegate workouts and you know he's not the man that does everything he, you know no not many managers do these days that's why they have big teams of coaches and stuff like that but Linda's ran the rule over them and basically said nah and the scouts in that region basically thought well we need a midfield overhaul over the next few years it, it's screaming out for it and now it's come to fruition obviously it looks even worse but these scouts were overruled by Linda's and they basically threw their hand in and said, well, what's the point? Like, we're doing the job for the club. That's our, our MO. And, you know, we've identified two young, talented players here. And, you know, as it transpires, if the, the market value is correct and you're looking at 160 million's worth of talent in the current source of value that we've been connected or linked to. And how do you pick these players up? I think Moises moved for less than... Four million or something like that, and Enzo Fernandez, I think, was a package that could end up at eighteen million euros to Benfica, and they're potentially going to flip him in twelve months for the hundred and twenty plus. It it is a bit worrying if if Linders is the guy who was you know pulled the plug on that, and then these fellas wanted to walk away and Klopp had to get involved and convince them, you know, no, we'll you know we, we take your thoughts on board and we we respect it and we'll try and do things differently and whatever, but. If that's the case, you know, how much influence is the assistant manager have? And has, has the assistant manager ever had this influence at other clubs? Maybe, maybe not. But it is a bit bit worrying. And I'm sorry if you can hear the tap on these, but the dog seems a bit uh, concerned. So he's just walking around the house for some bizarre reason. Um, so, yeah, it... As I say, it's speculation. It's traumatised by It's news that I've heard. It could be right. It could be wrong. We may never find out. We may find out, you know. But if if that is one, you know, potential rumour, and that's why, you know, the recruitment team have maybe then walked away at that way Edwards and Ward have, have been recommended players by the team that are out there doing work for them. And then, you know, there's, there's, play, there's, there's men on the coaching team that are going, nah. I think we know better whether that be Klopp, whether it be Linders, whether it be someone else. So we don't know. But the fact that there's there's clearly a disconnect on the pitch and off the pitch, it's very concerning. And you know, as, as Johnny once said, we, we were the gold standards three years ago. We were the we were the team that everyone in Europe wanted to be on and off the field. And I don't think right now you know your Sunday league teams would be looking at us and going, nah, like. We wouldn't be that open. We we do we do what's required not to get broken on and not to be so open. I it just seems a world away from what we once knew. Yeah, it's it's really strange, Andy. Um, the club have been long kind of um, criticised for for not splashing the cash, if you like. Um, but we've we've. Like we spent over a hundred million pounds on forwards in the last six months. Um, so and and like, if you want to call them marquee signings, etc. Et but I don't know. Is this what? What do you feel this is down to? Is this down to internal, almost? I don't know. Power grabs, if you like, um, within the structure from the coaching staff right up to the boardroom. Um, with FSG now looking to you know, openly sell, whether it's, you know, minority stakes in the club or just like the club outright, um, do they just do they just care less? Do they just want red? Are they just fed up? Are they just like, we've got an asset here, we know what it's worth, just get, get, get it sorted out? Um, the other thing that, that Liverpool fans will point to about Sony, I think they've just offered some baseball player like three hundred and eleven million dollar contract. Um, now, just to add a bit of context, I think it's an eleven year 
deal. Um, but even still, that's something else that, that people will point to to say, well, why can't, why can't that be us? But it, it does feel like there's a lack of a lack of management, if you want, a lack of a, a key decision maker. Yeah, it's so hard to speculate on the structural side of things. It's very obvious that with the departures of Michael Edwards and soon to be Julian Ward as well, that there's there's something not right. There's an issue. There's a there obviously was a plan for Ward to take over from Edwards and and grow into that role over the next couple of years. And there was a transition. And at the end of the transition year, um, this is the this is the supposedly transition. Sorry, last year was a transition year. This year is his full his first year fully in that role, and he's he's leaving and. You know, question marks have to, questions have to be asked. Alarm bells have to be ringing. Whatever it is, it may turn out to be insignificant. Fingers crossed, it does turn out to be insignificant. But you do just kind of wonder about where the club's going from here. And you know, on the on the, in terms of the signing of the uh, of the midfielders, whether it's because they're more apathetic. To be honest, it's 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 because it's it's always sort of been the FSG way. We our ideal owners would be FSG who chance their arm a little bit less in terms of you know calling into question the values of the club and trying to sneak things like the Super League through and furlough and staff and the seventy seven pound tickets etc. and spent a little bit more. And obviously the worry is that when they go. What do you get in? Do you become a sports washing project or does it go tits up? And you look around the league and there's very few owners who you would prefer, certainly in the top six, who you prefer the FSG. And that's not to say they're perfect. Um, I, I just think the issue's been uh, in the succession plan. It's something we couldn't really have planned for either. We had the absolute dream team from 2018 to 2020. We had you know, Fabinho coming in. Uh, Henderson at his peak age, Salah, Manny, Firmino, all around the same age, Virgil, a little bit older, but all around that sort of 23 to 27 mark. And it was kind of like, do you remember FSG's policy under Rodgers? I'm pretty sure it was an actual policy that they wouldn't sign anyone under 24, more or less. They wouldn't sign on anyone under 24. And Kolo Ture was the first time that they'd done so. I think I remember something about that under Rodgers. Um, and that I think the goalposts were kind of moved from 22 to 26, and we signed a load of players around this age who, who took a couple of years, but then bang, they were they were there and they were ready to explode. Jono was signed around the same age. You sign them at the age they're about to explode, so you get them for fairly cheap, and then you know you make them into absolute superstars. And I just think the problem well, is the well, Salah's the Salah's the <laughs> he's do you know what he is? Salah's like the massive bet that you get up. You win like five hundred quid off off of two pound, mm-hmm. and you're like, "This is easy. I can do this all the time." And Salah's kind of that where you're right. You you buy him when he's just about to explode. No one realizes he's going to explode quite the way he does. But but the problem and, is when, when when you do that with with so many players at the same time, they're all going to start their declines at the same time. So you need a succession plan to to bring through more. Players and especially in the midfield. I mean, since since tw- the summer of 2019, uh, or sorry, since the end of the summer of 2018, we've signed one real midfielder in Tiago. Obviously, not counting Arthur Mello, um, or Harvey Elliott, or you know players like that. But we've signed one midfielder in four and a half years. You can't tell me that four years ago, the succession planning that they were doing, and they will have been succession planning of some sort. They just may have not thought it would come crashing down quite like this. You can't tell me this. They, they sat there and thought, "Yeah, we'll just sign one thirty-year-old midfielder in these four and a half years, and everything will be fine." Something's going wrong somewhere, and I, th- I think it was James or, or Hendo maybe that mentioned the the too many thing. It looks very much like we're doing what we did with Van Dyke, except we're all in on Bellingham here. Um, and by the looks of things, and we don't know what's going on, but the looks of things, Bellingham's fifty-fifty. In fact. It, from what you read, it looks like he's slightly edging towards Real Madrid. The, you know, the possibility that he ends up is edging towards Real Madrid. Now, I'd like to think that we've got some serious assurances on this if we've effectively thrown a season. And I don't think that's too extreme to say. You know, if we've, as I, I can't remember who made the point, uh, whether it was Jay or Hendo or yourself, but saying, you know, you go from 
Chiamani going all out and end up just signing Arthur Mello on loan. You know, you've effectively thrown a season for this now. We effectively threw six months to get Van Dijk in. And was that worth it? Absolutely it was. But... I think the thing is here, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna challenge you on this, Andy. Yeah. I, I agree with you to a certain extent. However, I think the thing that we ha- I think the issue with with the difference between Van Dijk and the, and the midfield issue is Van Dijk was the, the one off two centre halves, right? That was it. That what do you mean? It, oh, he's one of two centre halves in the pitch. I don't think. Oh, yeah. I don't think Bellingham, Bellingham is the only midfield signing we need. I think we need at least two. So that says to me, why do we not go out and get the other guy? Do you know what I mean? We yeah. can we can we can park the two of many and instead of going out and, and spunking another, you know, 70, 80 million on our second or third choice, we, we hold off for Bellingham. But why don't we go out and get the other guy that we need? Yeah, I think that's completely fair. Um oh sorry, my thing's gone off. Nope. I'm still here. Um yeah, no, I think that is fair. And it's bizarre that when you sort of see the um Mateus Nunez links coming up, which seemed to carry some actual weight and it looks like we actually are in for him again and it looks like for more or less the same sort of price as what he was touted for last year when he was leaving Sporting and I, you know I didn't I wasn't overly enamored with the links at the time it just felt like we were getting anyone in and I haven't been overly enamored any time I've seen him and I include when he came on a Saturday night everyone seemed to rave about him but he was sort of sauntering past a knackered midfield and then giving the ball away every time from what I could see so whether it's him or whether it's Caicedo, like I know what you mean. They're, they do they do need to get another one in, and why haven't we done that? Um, you know, seems seems bizarre, and you know, FSG and Jurgen Klopp can can cry poverty a little bit too much for my liking at times. But you know, as you say, we have spent the forty million on Gakpo, we have spent the eighty five million on Nunez, um, which we could have possibly. You know, I'm not saying that, that that that's been a bad signing by any stretch of the imagination, but that money could have could have definitely been prioritised on a midfielder. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, I've I've no I've no I've no rebuttal to that, and I'm not sticking up for FSG. I'm just sort of thinking with purely thinking from a Bellingham point of view, whether it's a sort of Van Dyke thing of we will wait for him and we will be happy to throw a season two wait for him, um, which which feels shit when you're in the season that's being thrown, and I'm using that as a, obviously like a massively um, you know, as a sort of pejorative term, through in the season, but effectively you're accepting that you're a lot weaker than what you could have been for a season for the benefit of future seasons. If that makes sense. So yeah, you're making big, big sacrifices, aren't you? Yeah, and you know, if we don't get them, then you just have to ask. Yes, have to ask massive, massive questions because if if it, if it is a fifty-fifty thing and we've tossed the coin in this, then it's just absolutely wild, isn't it? Yeah, it's it's bonkers. Um, right, my next question to everybody was going to be, how would you feel if it was a nation state that bought the club? How do you feel if we're Newcastle, um, for example? Is is anybody anything other than devastated? I don't think I'd go. I don't think I'd go back if we became Newcastle. Genuinely, I don't. Yeah, I don't think I'm being hyperbolic there. I don't think I'd. I don't think I'd go back to Anfield. I don't. Yeah. I, I. I. I don't know if if the supporters would let it happen, and whether you can question whether we have that power or not. But ultimately, we've driven owners out before, and you know this city is a group of supporters are strong on these things, and if there's a group of people that will not let it happen on a moral basis. I think it is us. I don't disagree with you, but ultimately the anxiety for me remains there whilst it's in the balance. Do you know what I mean? That thought's always going to be at the back of my mind. Jay, where's your head on this? Uh, I've got a sense of inevitability about it. Like, it, it... if we want to sort of compete at the top end on a consistent basis, then we're going to have to have money from somewhere. And I'm not sure that there's a squeaky clean billionaire out there. You don't you don't get rich without you know doing something 
to upset someone. No, that's true. That's true. But, but, but there, there are, yeah, there are. We're talking levels of regimes. regimes. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I, I know. We're talking. Yeah. We're talking like states that cut people's heads off in order to build a fucking motorway. You want about where you live, or? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, it was too easy. It was a tapping. Um, even Darwin would have put that one away. Um, yeah, no, I, I get it. Um, it we, we had it in the past, and you, you know, the, the truth of what actually goes on out there has only been revealed in recent times. Like, it does always happen, but you know, a lot of people turned the blind eye to it and maybe the, the Middle East weren't such a big power on the global scene, but there was times when there was Qatari banners on the cop pleading for Qatari owners and people are fickle and I understand what Andy's saying. And there was probably a lot of Newcastle fans as well in the same situation. You thought like, I will never go to the ground again, but success will win a lot of people over. We will we will still fill the ground one way or the other. That, that is the sad state of affairs. And I just don't know, like, the ideal owner would be like what we've got, but a little bit more frivolous with money and not so tight. And, you know, or, or we're not asking for what Mbappe because that's not what we're about, really. We we create superstars. That's sort of been our motto of what we are. We create them. We don't sort of get them. Or the odd one, maybe, in Van Dyke or whatever, but... Do you not think that we have a nation state ownership? We basically just throw all that down the toilet. Yeah, yeah, and that's what, and it, it would throw away the whole ethos of the it's club, an, it's the an city. Ident- it's an identity thing. You're nearly sacrificing your identity. In my yeah, eyes. and we we would be, and that's what I mean. Like to be a lot of people, especially as Andy's touched on, he lives in the city now. Like he wouldn't want that and would turn the back on the club. Um. And it, I don't know. You don't know until you put into the situation. Like I don't think it's right. I don't think we we would want ever that sort of ownership. But the game as it's going has got that sense of inevitability about it. And it just also seems like the current ownership is so disconnected in what we are as a club and as a fan base that if you know speculation, if it was a Qatari group that come in and offered you know, an extortious amount of money and there's no one else really coming close to that. As business people, are they not just going to say, well, you know, if someone else is only offering 2.8 billion and they're offering us four, like we're making a ridiculous amount of money on top of what our investment was. Let's just take the money. And as a fan base, like we would literally have nothing to do. Like we can protest and we can have fan groups like Spurs and Shankly on the board and stuff, but at the end of the day, Money weeks away, I go around and football is now a business. And if they decide to do that, then we're pretty much powerless. Um, that that again is is a bit of a shift feeling. Like I don't I don't know what what, what the others think, but it, it it has a weird sense of inevitability that it might just happen, and we'd be stuck regardless, however we do it. And unfortunately, there will be a lot of fickle fans who will be won over because you know a shiny player and a few shiny trophies suddenly overrides you know what actually is going on where that money comes from man city classic example like they just come out i think it was today that they're the most uh got the most turnover or profits or whatever like you know and they'll celebrate that again like a trophy and everyone knows the reality of it but that there'll be people who who enjoy that and and embrace it and I don't know. It's it, it's a weird thing to address. Like, and as Andy said, it doesn't it doesn't go down well in this city, but there will be people who will accept it. Johnny, I remember like back in the mid two thousands when Abramovich bought Chelsea, and then we like we stopped stopped the win of the European Cup year after year, and after a while, like I kind of made my peace with the fact that Chelsea will eventually win the European Cup. It's kind of like with Man City, I've kind of made my peace with the fact that Man City will eventually win the European Cup. It will eventually happen. Probably the yeah. same with PSG as well. But um, is this scenario that we've talked about, and I'm not talking about whether I think people, whether people will allow it to happen or how likely it is or or whatever. And I'm not even talking about like, I'm not even talking about like a, like a nation state, for example. But just say they are like billionaires 
from somewhere that has less than desirable democracy, ethics, human rights, standards, etc. Is that something you could ever make a peace with? I don't think I could ever make peace with us being used as a sports washing tool for a regime in the way that Newcastle and Man City are. I don't think I could ever get get with that. Um, I mean, if it's an individual entity, and, and listen, Jay's, Jay's right. I mean, uh, I, I think there was a spell a couple of months ago when, when the story broke about um, FSG's willingness to maybe start looking for buyers and going on to social media and especially Twitter would make your blood boil because there were so many, I mean, let's, let's be clear. There are so many people out there that do not give a flying shit about this. They just want the shiny new toy. And some people were putting up really heartfelt things like, you know, it would kill me to not support Liverpool. And they were like, see ya, <laughs> you know, and, and, and they were like, uh, and they, they, they were almost insinuating that there was a racism against owners from that part of the world because they weren't American white billionaires. And But this goes a lot deeper than that. I mean, Jay's right. Listen, there's no such thing as a squeaky clean billionaire. You do not become a billionaire in today's world without being ruthless and taking advantage of people. We know that. But there is... A, there is a line, and I think having Liverpool Football Club, which was a club built from nothing really by by Shankly, to become the institution that they are in the city that they are, you know, a city that's been disadvantaged, impoverished, kicked down by the establishment to, for, for a club from that city to rise above it and become by far especially in European terms, the most successful club in, 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 in British, British football is, you know, people there are rightly massively, massively proud of that. And to see that institution and all that it stands for just brazenly used as a, a PR arm of a murderous human rights abusing regime, it would make me sick to my stomach. And I'm with Andy. I, I just couldn't, I couldn't get with it. I couldn't get with it, and and I think ultimately the you know there is a feeling of inevitability about it. There really is. I mean, so far the two the two most sort of institutional historic powerhouses of of English football, Man United and Liverpool, have resisted it, or or they just you know they haven't been in a space where they've been acquirable for whatever reason. But there is a feeling that, that that it's common. Well, actually, Johnny, can I just? I think we've been. The, the difference is, I think, is that, and this is to concern. Ultimately, there literally are only billionaires that can afford to own football clubs, right? Yeah. So, I think there was a point, for instance, when FSG bought us, that we were affordable for a far wider group of entities. Now, there is a finite number of, yeah. of, of potential owners out there for us. Like you're talking probably less than 20 in the world. Yeah. And that's the position that we find ourselves in. Um, yeah. And ultimately, it's either, it's either that or you end up in a position that Arsenal kind of found themselves in where you have multiple shareholders, majority, minority shareholders, people with smaller stakes in the club. And you can see the the disharmony that that can cause as well. Um, so, yeah. But, 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 but do you know what, Dave, as well? I mean, a final point on this. I mean, this is the biggest indictment, really, of football as a business now. It's, it's become more and more of a business since the Premier League came in in 1992. But this is probably the biggest indictment you could say of what UEFA and FIFA have done to football, where they've created this hierarchy, where they've just made this unbelievable. They've created this it's, unbelievable it's a wealth. Divide. Yeah, they've created this. They've they've created a a wealth gap that is insane. They've created this league where all the money 
all the insane wages, all the, the cash prizes of the Champions League. It's a, it's a class divide. And what you've ended up with is these clubs that are now just bohemoths. They're worth so much money. The only sustainable way to run them is to have billionaires and really unethical people in football. And that is the biggest failing of the of the you know the way the game's been governed by the powers that be and I know we're talking about you know NFL before and they they have very strict policies around it has to be American owners and 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 they and they've got their their salaries caps and things like that which you don't associate with with America where it's always rampant capitalism but you do look at the way top top level European football's gone and the fact that to compete, it feels like you need to have an oil money behind you. And that is just, it's so its so against the ethos of sport. But that's how bad they've been in, in running the game. And that's where they brought it to, which is really sad. Yeah. Um, if anybody just wants to pop on to Philippe Beauclair's Twitter page and just look at his, his um, little avatar, which is like a cartoon of him sticking needles in an Infantino voodoo doll. Just, yeah, just just pop on the Twitter and look at it and just have a wee giggle because it's really funny. Um, okay, uh, Johnny, start with you around the table quickly. Team for Brighton, which will be absolutely horrendous. Oh, God, I'm not looking forward to it. Um, I don't think you can really change much. I mean, that's probably why we're all so worried. I, I think you're probably looking at the same team as. As wolves, aren't you? I mean, you're gonna you're gonna have to have you're gonna have to have Kanade, Matip if he's available, same fullbacks, midfield. What do you do? Do you do you maybe bring in? Do you do you maybe bring in? You, you know, do you go ex- Thiago Henderson Fabinho? It's not been working. Elliot, that's not been working. There's not really we. We can't do anything with the forwards. You know, John and Diaz are out for the foreseeable. It's, Where's Firmino? Yeah, he's not about. He's not available, is he? So, no. is he, is he you still know, not available? I don't think so, Dave. I, I, I don't think we can. Yeah, really do now much. you say that, I think it might have been a stupid question to ask, Jay. And have you any any advances on the on the eleven from Saturday? I've been catering, hundred percent. Okay. I his last two performances, he's changed the game. I think I thought he was brutal in possession on Saturday when he came on, but that's besides the point. I it, it I obviously again it, it's different perceptions, isn't it? When you're in the ground, so when you're watching on telly, um, like he did I, bring something, Jay. And do you know what? It's a good shout out, actually. Uh, uh, that's at Brentford, he brought someone as well. Yeah, I, I'd say this. Villa, I would, he did as well, and against I Leicester, I think it's been quite good. But he's come on in all these games. I I would start Kira. I definitely would. Uh, sorry, that's one thing. Yeah, that's an oversight. I, I would, I would bring in Keita. Um, I'd probably go with Thiago, Keita, and Fabinho. Even though he's running on treacle at the minute, Fabinho. But yeah, that's probably the one. Good, good shot. Yeah, too. like we've got to, as our fixtures line up over the next ten days, roughly. We got Brighton away, Wolves away in the cup, and then Chelsea at home. Like the two league games are paramount. The cup. As much as we love a trip to Wembley and like Andy will confess we had we had amazing times there last season. That that can be thrown away this year because we just need to sounds really Evertonian, but we just need to focus on the league. Um but you know, they go to cups early anyway, so it doesn't matter. But um Keita, I think, has to come in the other two well, you know, it's two from Flea. That's all we've got. Like it is gonna be Henderson, Fabinho or Thiago. I would go with Fabinho and Thiago just purely for maybe a bit more on ball ability. And I know Fabinho's been brutal, but Thiago, so then you, you mess around with which one goes six and neither of them Henderson or Fabinho can run at the moment. Um and yeah, the front three's the front three. <laughs> like, uh, Jay, Jay, okay, all right, just, all right, hold on, hold on. Andy, just to come to you, right? I'm I'm not convinced it's quite as clear cut as, as these guys are saying. So we we have an Oxley at Chamberlain conversation to have. I know how people feel about him, but Klopp's been using him. Um, we have a Cody Gap- Gakpo conversation to have, and we have um, a Harvey Elliott conversation to have. Um, 
I wouldn't have Elliot near our midfield at the minute. That's yeah. so. That's not really the question. The question is, what do you think he'll do? I think he'll go. I think I think he'll go with the same team, but he'll bring Keita in for Henderson. Um, yeah, I, th- I know what you're saying about Keita. He he brought something for sort of for the first five to ten minutes, and then just kept sort of losing the ball, but. I do think he was trying to force it, to be honest, but that's... Yeah, but I'd rather, I'd rather force it in the way that Naby Keita did than in the way Joel Matip did, which was a stupid floated ball right into the goalkeeper's arms. Yeah, Everyone gets 50 yards up the pitch and they take two minutes out of the game. Keita was losing the ball at a time where we were smothering them and we were able to win the ball back within two or three seconds. So he was taking the fair. right kind of risks. Um, now, that's obviously a, a, a specific point of the game. Um, which isn't going to be how the game plays out in sa- on Saturday. Um, I I think we're going to get murdered on Saturday. Like <laughs> I think we're going to get absolutely hammered. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. There we go. So um, until next time, everybody up the going to get hammered, Reds. <laughs> <laughs>